Hey, Mutz. Danny, are you fidget spinning over there? I hear it. I hear it. You know it. You know it. Fidget spinner engage. That's what you do sometimes when you're standing at your desk. You get. You got it. You got a fidget. We have a a household fidget spinner that we got from free from Microsoft. And you know fidget spinners are out when essentially I walk into any building on Microsoft campus and fidget spinners are just branded with Microsoft logos and you can just take one. Yeah, we, you and I were just, we had a quick pregame conversation about that because, uh, you know, you know something has really gone downhill as far as being cool the moment Microsoft brands something with it. LOL, just kidding. <laughs> I love making fun of your company directly to you. It just, it makes me so happy. Burn on Microsoft. Am I right? <laughs> Burn big on corporations. Microsoft. The moment that the moment the big corporation brands it, then you know it's like, all right, hashtag not that cool anymore. Um, I, I don't know that I ever really bought into the therapeutic value of a fidget spinner, though I have to admit that as I'm doing it right now and talk, I, I'm about to leave my body. That's how that's how calm it's making me. Well, um, so. you, I think that it's maybe not when necessary. I think you, when you start to see fidget spinners and types of things like this get dispersed for free in swag bags, that's like one indication that it's on the way out. But I did link to you that fidget spinners have gone Bluetooth and there's a company making a Bluetooth fidget so, spinner game. So what's and I the, don't what's the market for this, right? I'm lo- it was the only, <laughs> I love the guy's blog, by the way, Jennings Brown. We got to give him a shout out here. Uh, we got to find some of these people we mentioned on the podcast on Twitter and tweet at them when we mentioned them. It's just hilarious that, you know, it, you know, you knew this was going to happen, right? It's the only way this thing ends is someone develops basically an artificially intelligent fidget, fidget spinner, right? <laughs> so it spins without you holding it. And, and, and you know, it's great when you can find it at Brookstone. That's right. the key right there. Yep. I don't, I don't get it, but I will say <laughs> I don't get it either, but you can remotely do it. It looks like it's built out with like a whole, I mean, honestly, the app looks like how my Fitbit looks, right? It's telling me how I'm balanced in my different areas, you know, my cardio, like the things I'm hitting, right? So it's got other color things that tell you, Hey, you, you spun left 600 times. You spun right this many times. You use your middle finger 90% of the time, which clearly suggests you have anger issues at your father or something. I don't know. But I mean, this is like, <laughs> This is out of control. My, my favorite part of this article is actually the file two category, which is born to die at the very top. Right. I love it. Well, I love it. But there, great way to start the show impromptu, yeah. right? We didn't really originally think that fidget spinners. I mean, I think, is this the first ever appearance by a fidget spinner on our podcast? I think so. It could be. Uh, we've discussed them. We've talked of your child's addictions and um, uh, uh, yeah. definitely noticing. I, I saw I was on a boat one time, remember, and there was a, there was children with like 28,000 fidget spinners and they were stacking them and spinning them. I don't understand. But um, I, I will say today, Danny, to get back to our lives of not fidget of the spinners, I, I had a, I had an interesting technology battle of expecting websites to work when something goes up for pre-order and you go onto the website to pre-order it and you think you're going to get one. But guess what? You don't because it's the Super NES Classic, which we've discussed before. And for five hours today, Danny, I fought with Walmart, ThinkGeek, GameStop, GameStop mobile application, Walmart, I think again, Target, um, Play Asia, all of them. And after five hours, I finally got one. You got one. Oh, I, I wasn't one. sure how this was going to end. I thought, I mean, I'm glad you didn't Tarantino it for me. Otherwise, I would have blacked out. But you had me on the edge of my seat there because I, I didn't know the result. Th- this was my this was my absolute favorite all day. It was like added it to the cart. Try to check out. No, nope, sorry. Don't have it. <laughs> don't <laughs> got it. Just I go on ThinkGeek and they're like, hey, ThinkGeek sells them in bundles. So I'm like, oh, what is the most not annoying bundle? All right, I'll get the Legend of Zelda chessboard with the Triforce. It's 
way, it's like a hundred dollars over retail, but I'm like, I'll get this. And you click the button, you fill out the information. It's just like, no, can't even. <laughs> so it was funny because the very first website I tried was Target and it was the same thing. I was like in my basket gone. And I was like, you know what, whatever. After four hours of all this, all these websites, I'm like, I give up. And I, uh, I popped on really quick to target.com and it's like pre-order. I was like, shut up, you, whatever. What's in my basket? Yeah, I'm not falling for that again. Fool me once, shame on you, right? <laughs> but fool me twice, I checked out and I pre-ordered it. <laughs> and I totally got it. It was so weird. Uh, but anyways, now every, not all my friends are all pissed because then I, of course I went to Twitter and I was like, look what I got. I love it. No, that's it. that's the bees. Well, we know you've been waiting for it. So, I mean, just like when when they welcome a new child into my life, we have to welcome a new game console into your life and feel like we we give it, you know, there's there's probably a shower, right? Is there a party for us to get together and celebrate the birth of this SNES? Yes, there is. Um, I'm I'm going to be down in Arizona. We're going to celebrate together. There's going to be sparklers. There's going to be um, sparklers like any any good any good party should have. Well, Speaking of the transition you made earlier about children using fidget spinners and, and their addictions, this week I had a quick update in my life in the what's new category. Had to take my, my son's cell phone, my 11-year-old. You know, Okay, had to is a strong word, right? You don't have to do anything as a parent. You can also say... I never do anything that, you know, that maybe tries to, tries to whatever, whatever the discipline angle is or the lesson you're trying to provide. But I learned that, I mean, I didn't learn this. We already know this, but parenting is getting harder and harder, Mutz. Like as the kids get older and you're really, really, really raising, you know, real human beings, right? They're no longer just toys with artificial intelligence where, you know, hey, just make sure that the one-year-old doesn't kill herself every other hour and you've pretty much done your job, right? She doesn't, you know, climb off the edge of some sort of ledge. But with, you know, as kids get older, it gets harder and harder. And, you know, I basically, we had a a good conversation about about kind of just some gratitude, some gratitude and attitude, some gratitude and attitude. And I needed to um, take the phone. And, you know, I, I, the main thing I wanted to share was this. One of the things that, that I learned about that experience was that um, how damaged I was as a kid. And we won't get into all of my own personal dysfunction on this show as much as people might like that. But I definitely had a different different upbringing than my kids are having. And I think that when some of those harsher discipline moments came down, like some of the things that I was dealing with on a bigger picture level really made it even harder to deal with. Where like, as long as you kind of are like there for your kids and always there for kind of the cleanup after discipline, I think that you know, it actually really is useful and healthy. And I, and I felt like the next day his attitude and gratitude was better. And we're our, and, and it's one of those things where you realize you're not always raising the best person when they get what they want all the time. Yeah. Sometimes there's, there's, there's that need to be a little bit kind of like, Hey, let's, let's, uh, let's remind ourselves what's important here while you think you need an iPhone six. You know, what happens if you have no cell phone with your attitude, right? Something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, you do, you do have a different perspective. So anyway, without getting to all my, all the details, I didn't want to share that. That was kind of an interesting and sort of tough moment this week as I, as I now am dealing with a preteen in my household. Well, it's interesting too, because we, this weekend, uh, Heather's dad was in town. So we were doing the, Hey, let's go check out all of Seattle and all the, you know, our favorite restaurants, this and that. And we went to, uh, one of our favorite dumpling places, Din Tai Fung, and, uh, what was kind of interesting is we ran into a very similar situation. We were literally just talking about kids and growing up and the certain ages they had. And there was this one kid that was just running around. You know, that kid that's just like, oh, I'm just running around doing whatever. Like, and like, and we walked in and like this kid just like bopped into, you know, just pay, you know, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, like it ran into, ran into Heather, you know, and it was an interesting social 
watching of parenthood. And I'm not, I don't want to, I don't have a child, so I'm not going to criticize somebody, but I'm going to criticize them, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> Go for it. I'm not going to criticize you, but I'm going to criticize But it was interesting because the dad was very like, hey, like you ran into them. You need to go apologize, you know, right. uh, which seems like an okay thing to do. And uh, this kid, I don't know, maybe he was like five, six, seven, something like that. So pretty, pretty young still. He's like, he's like, you know, you know, when you do something wrong, you got to apologize. You know, you got to make sure, you know, you do the right thing, blah, blah, blah. And this kid was just like not having, just not paying attention, not caring, whatever his dad was telling him. And he's just, yeah, whatever. And did, you didn't do it. But it was interesting to watch the dad because the dad, they had three kids too. So the mom was preoccupied with the other two kids, but the dad was too preoccupied with his cell phone and like didn't enforce it. You know, like he didn't make it happen he told the kid but didn't make it happen and it was interesting because i'm like I, I think growing up my parents would have at that point you know i can i can away. jump on that criticism with you and i am a parent so i will give myself full leeway to say that that's that's something we call in the business that's called parenting from the couch mm. that's called not parenting past your own inconvenience which is a terrible parental sin and it's what makes people whether they have no kids or for whatever reason right whether they're younger or just haven't gotten there yet or whether you know their their choices they're not going to have you know children this lifetime whatever that's anything goes that's great but it makes people without kids really resent that aspect where if you're going to have kids it is your responsibility to be present in those moments not just because you know kids are kids can be a little bit you know they don't have the same boundaries yet they can be a little obnoxious and it's your job to help them learn boundaries but also because that's you know that should be that should be your justification for why you have children which is you know they fulfill your life and they should also fulfill and and make better lives around them like you're not overpopulating the planet so that you can then you know check out and just have some sort of living extension of your genetics i mean i think that that's one of those things that's really frustrating to experience whether you have kids or not even as a parent that's like that's what we call parenting from the couch and it's like we're you know, it's not a, now I can say the other line. I wasn't sure where the story was going to go again. I can say there are also lines as parents where you experience the other extreme where somebody goes so far over the top and disciplining their children in front of other people that what we, what you realize in those moments is in those moments, it's actually more about the parent than it is teaching the kid a lesson. It's like this parent doesn't want to be embarrassed and their image is not going to be hurt by any living thing come hell or high water, whether it's a small child or not. So I've seen that happen in both extremes, right? I've seen the way over the top, I'm disciplining this kid in public and I'm going to make a point about the kind of person I am where it really becomes all about that human being and not the child or whether it was that big of a deal or the or that extreme, right, where someone's parenting from the couch. And it's it's tough. I can tell you, I mean, they say this phrase, there is no parenting handbook, but my general theory is, you know, you have to be present and everyone wants to break their own family patterns because they have things that happen to them and, and things that they're always comparing to. Well, this happened and I think it was good and this happened and I think it was bad. Basically, my theory is like a lot of those things are like the most important thing is to just like treat the kid like being present and actually boundaries and discipline are not a bad thing when when it when it's basically teaching them about like the empathy of others. When it's when it's basically your own pride and all about how you look to other parents, then I think it, you know, it, it gets weird and then you feel bad afterwards. And I've, I've learned that because I've done both. I mean, I've just, I've, you know, I've over-disciplined my kids or made mistakes in those moments. And then I've had moments where I realized, you know, here I was just kind of worried about 
you know, something and probably, you know, this is something they need to learn over time. And, and so you try to roll with that and adjust. But I like to think it's all with like challenging myself to be more, more and more present, not more and more checked out as a dad, you know? Yeah. And, and it was interesting because obviously you could tell that he, the, the dad was aware of the entire situation and we were discussing it later. And I go, oh, what's so interesting is that while well, he told the kid that he needed to apologize, didn't enforce it, but then also he didn't apologize either, right? Ah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that could weird. be the also thing, like lead by example type of thing. Like, right, hey, exactly. My kid's obviously being a woo woo. And, um, you know, that, that happens. Kids are going to be themselves, but sometimes you got to lead by example. And then you don't have to then go that further step of disciplining um, and, and going, I guess. But of course, like, I don't know. I'm not a parent, but. Um, it was just no, kind of an no, I think, interesting. I think you're totally right, and I that's what, like I said. I think I, I agree, and I you know what I don't agree with what is uh, the email you got today. Oh, I, I want I want everyone to sit down before they hear Mots talk about this uh, this this uh, final update of the of the new things in Mots's life. I, I I'm still I'm still frustrated, but I'll give my opinion after you bring them up to speed. This was a breaking news situation because this literally came in 30 minutes before we started recording, and I got excited because. I don't get a lot of email. Just kidding. I get tons. But I, got an... <laughs> I get excited because I don't get 300 emails a day. Exactly. And they're all not junk that I just archive immediately. But I got this email from Amazon restaurants, which I've never gotten an email from Amazon restaurants. I don't even know what that is. But I was like, that sounds cool. And the subject was cold brew like you've never seen it. And you know I love a good cold brew. Oh, yeah. So and now they've I... got you. Then they got me hooked. And then I opened it. And then the first thing that it has is a is a photo of a latte with a plus sign and then an avocado with an equal sign after it. And it says, have you tried an avo latte? Answer, no, I have not tried an avo latte. That sounds like a terrible idea. I don't want to know what it is. It shouldn't be trending. And that sounds disgusting. So, of course, yeah, so, I clicked on the link. <laughs> so there. So here's the here's the thing, right? We, we know that we know that two wrongs don't make a right, okay? I mean, we, there are experiences where you have this, where someone justifies an action where this person deserves it, right? That's revenge. Revenge doesn't make a right. Two wrongs don't make a right. But this is a case where two rights can make a wrong. I mean, you know me and you both love a good latte. We love, love an espresso. I mean, this is this is right up our alley. Hence the reason they have you they have you hooked with a cold brew latte latte advertisement. You know, and first of all, I don't know if you know this, I love avocados. Like I love avocados. Oh, I I've, I've gone dairy free. I think I shared this with you. Mm -hmm. So, if you ever go dairy free everybody, avocados are sort of key to making that work just fyi because they're they're like nature's natural like you know you can have avocado mayonnaise you can have uh, you put avocado on any burrito you have and honestly if you got burritos and you know you got avocado tomato salsa you don't need cheese i'm telling you if if you've ever wondered whether you need to go off dairy i you know i was kind of diagnosed like hey maybe maybe you'd do better without some dairy by you know um my physician and and, and i've been doing well i feel i feel a little less sluggish sluggish so I, I'm doing good off dairy. I cheat every once in a while, and then I know that I shouldn't cheat. So as a, as someone who's gone no dairy, avocado has been a necessary part of my life. My fridge has avocados all the time now. They're hanging in the basket. It, avocado me up. Avocado, avocado my ego, right? I mean, avocado Dan. So so this is two rights making a wrong that I'm just, I'm heartbroken about. I was not okay with it. And then when I clicked on the link, I saw the video, which I said, you have to watch. And then I made you watch it. And it was just... Not okay. Now, for people that really, I'll give you a verbal description so you don't have to go watch it yourself, but it is in the show notes. It's basically a hollowed out avocado with some of the avocado in it. So it's not just the, the shell of the avocado, right? So they scoop out the, 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 
the core of it, basically. And then they take this beautiful latte, and instead of putting it in a cup, the cup is the av- avocado. And what is the point of this? I don't understand. The, the avocado is not a sturdy enough vessel. That's Man, the more we talk vessel. about this, just, I'm getting angry now. Okay. Now I'm getting angry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. I'm just upset. I'm like, I'm never no. drinking lattes again. Oh, um, man. But apparently it's happening all over the globe, and I'm not okay with this. And if you see it on your menu, do not buy this. Um, I will be very upset. Or take a photo of it and tell us how wrong we are, I guess. And you're like, this yeah. is <laughs> Or be together. like, hey, Dan and Mutt's uh, yeah. wrong. Delicious. Loving my ava latte. So. I just hate, the, I hate how the words flow and work too perfect together. It's ava latte. It's like it was meant to be, but this is a marriage we're going to be fighting, you know, <laughs> so let's uh, let's not give up that good fight. <sighs> well, speaking of not giving up the good fight, regardless of the fact that I took over the technology section last week and uh, forced you to talk about some where technology meets politics and bureaucracy. That was kind of our discussion with, you know, the uh, the Freedom of Internet Act and all that stuff. But but this week it's back over to you. So tell the world what you got for us and what, why technology is ruining our lives or not. Yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm super excited. Um, first off, how was your total eclipse day? So I'm glad I didn't go blind. And I know that's setting my my standards at about the Trump level standards. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> setting my standards. By the way, did you see that picture of Donnie, as I call him? Donnie T? <laughs> Donnie? No, I don't think so. Yeah, like, really, did you see that? I need more and description. He, and, he, and he started to look up at the eclipse. Oh, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny, but it's so funny these days. You never know. I mean, it could be photoshopped, right? Who knows? But um, it was pretty funny because that's the one thing you're not supposed to do is go outside and kind of put your hand in front of your eyes and try to get a peek at the eclipse. It's it's ill advised by it's many. The first experts, thing I okay? do. It's it's been it's been kid tested, mom, mom approved. Okay, it's not a good idea to look at the look at the eclipse, and uh, I didn't do that despite my. My level of, uh, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to look, but I didn't. Um, there was a guy standing outside the local Walmart with like extra, um, he, he had extra uh, goggles for people to try on. I didn't have goggles myself because you couldn't really get them. Um, I did. I, I spent most of my time watching it online. Honestly, Twitter had a phenomenal view. Of, of the eclipse as it rolled on. So I know that that makes me really, really bad, but I I basically just watched it online. That's the truth. And that's pretty good. I was watching the NASA stream on Twitch and it was actually pretty solid. Um, they were describing all sorts of science and stuff and it was great. And, you know, it was funny because I remember we left the house and we're walking towards Heather's work because we also didn't have glasses because I was like, I got sunglasses. That's, that's good enough, right? Um, science, whatever. And so we, they had them at, at Heather's work. So we're just like, oh, we'll just go down to Heather's work and, and check them out. So the very first thing I do when I go outside is, of course, look up at the sun. That's exactly what I want to do. Like, oh, I, you know, there's something in the sky that's of interest that's just not trying to burn my skin. Um, and of course, I looked up over and over and over again. And every time I did, Heather just got more and more mad at me. So it became then a challenge. But we did get the glasses. And what's interesting about these glasses, which is our focus of how technology can, if we will, really change some other people's lives all over the world. These glasses, which I enjoy because the ones that they had there, and I think all online are like these like America glasses and they're all dated and they're all like the super low res images, like these, you know, you know, JPEG images and they're just blasted on these, these uh, glasses. And these are certified glasses, but I mean, genius. I mean, they're just making bajillions of dollars off these things. I mean, granted, it's a very um, focused market where they're only going to sell these at certain points. But what's interesting is that it was a very interesting social gathering, right? You were watching it on Twitter or Twitch, and I was watching it on Twitch, and um, I was I was outside watching it, and 
we were interested because all of a sudden in about an hour here, we were at about 92% total darkness or whatever, which 92% total darkness means that it's still extremely bright outside. Right. I've learned that as well, right? It's like twilight. It's like twilight. Yeah. Yeah, It's basically not anything. And then we look through the glass and like, that looks like a little thing. But uh, what's interesting is we have all these glasses and and, and hundreds of people are coming outside because it's kind of down in the in the tech area where Heather's work is at. And it was interesting to watch people for an hour come out and just everyone like how much money is this eclipse costing the world right now? Because we're all paying our employees to go outside. Almost as much as March Madness. Probably. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting. But the art, what thing I want to talk about is you have these glasses. Now, you may not have these glasses, but I have these glasses. And I know a lot of people have them. A lot of people have them. And I know what you're thinking right now. There's not going to be another total eclipse for another 35 years. So you'll just buy another pair in 35 years. So you're going to throw these things out because they're so cheap and gross and disgusting that you don't need them in your house. You don't need them. No one needs them. But you know who does need them? Schools, children, people all over the world. And in fact, there's a um, organization called Astronomers Without Borders. And what they're doing now is they're asking for people that have these glasses to donate them to them. And it's an opportunity for schools to... Um, um, essentially be part of this program to get these glasses. And there's other scientific things that you can do with these glasses, uh, but also to help raise for the 2019 um, total solar eclipse, which I believe is going to happen in Asia and South America. So they'll actually be part of these programs in other countries that can't maybe afford to have them for the students and the kids and things like that. I just thought it was such a cool idea awesome. for these little Thank tiny things. My only issue with it is, is it's, you know, why, why, st- I guess Asia and South America is the most logical place for the majority of these classes to go to, um, schools because it, that's where the next, that's where the next solar eclipse will be, right? In 2019. So I get, okay. So I guess that makes sense. I was going to say that uh, it's a, it's a great, uh, initiative. And obviously the Astronomers Without Borders implies an international sort of distribution, but actually, um, you know, many of the schools in the states had the same issue. Right. I mean, yeah. a lot of schools couldn't get a hold of them. Um, and a lot of pl- whether in, you know, in, in a demographic that, you know, can't afford it or they, they tried too late or whatever. So, you know, certainly people can plan better and stuff, but I know that, um, a lot of schools actually, you know, kind of missed out on this like super important educational opportunity. Why is it super important? I actually don't even know, but I think it is. It's super important. I know that you learned a ton from NASA. So before we move on, give me one cool fact you learned about the eclipse from the NASA Twitch stream that, that's going to blow our minds oh geez um come on i'm testing your knowledge now <laughs> uh, let me let me google that um <laughs> are you gonna google <laughs> okay never mind that. No, I, I, figured, yeah. I expected you to just shock me with Dini. an eclipse can lift five times its body weight up into a tree or something like that um one um, of the favorite things that uh, astronomers like to do actually is crossfit that's what i found they were crossfit <laughs> on the all astronomers are also into crossfit and they happen to play on chess.com that's it's just so weird the i will say the the quick fact that i learned is uh yes or on monday which is when the total eclipse was was um, a day that um, a total eclipse of the heart was most streamed throughout the entire world. The number one streaming song. <laughs> it's so funny because uh, one of our developers titled his email, Turn Around Bright Eyes. And uh, I read it and I couldn't stop singing. Just turn around. Bright. I just I sang it for the rest of the time. But of course, I sang the, uh, you know, I sang like the, uh, you know, the old school version by that band that, uh, you know, you know, you know. Oh, I know. You know. It's not, it's not PG. So we keep this, we keep this, you know, 
well, language you know, friendly here, but anyway, it's fun. You know what is PG? A good game of chess, Danny. When you get, <laughs> get to the board, there's not much that can go wrong in uh, uh, to keep that thing PG. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a Disney movie. Can't really get out of the G zone. Just got to keep it family safe. Right. And, uh, that that makes you know chess a great family game, and um, it probably matters or not to a lot of people. And some interesting things are happening in the chess world. And can you lay it down for me, buddy? Well, uh, the biggest thing. There's been a lot of stuff going on this week. This is actually one of the busiest weeks I've ever had in terms of doing what I do, you know, being a, a chess commentator, chess broadcaster, basically somebody who talks for a living. Um, and I'm sque- and we're squeezing in the podcast too. So this week we've got, uh, we've had, we've had two big matches. We've had, uh, the speeches championship match between Levon Aronian and Ian Napomniashi. I will link to that and you'll read his name several times if you've never read names like that and say, how did he pronounce it? Napomniashi. Um, so Ian Napomniashi and Levon Aronian, a, a huge matchup. These guys just played each other in St. Louis at the event we were talking about a little bit ago. Aronian actually ended up winning the Rapid and Blitz. So they're both, uh, on the top of their game absolute studs i'm co-hosting that with anna rudolph international master anna rudolph you can see a link to her twitter um, in the show notes here uh anna's awesome she's uh one of the most well-known uh chess chess faces on the planet as far as chess commentary goes and then on thursday which is the day this podcast is is coming out i hosted a match between ho yifan who was the women's world chess champion and fabiana Caruana. um ho yifan is from china and she is the one of the probably the second strongest female chess player in history already undeniably now judith polgar many people know of the polgar family the polgar sisters even people not in chess because the polgars have been so famous in, in regards to their achievements. Uh, their parents had all kinds of academic theories and all kinds of stuff. But um, other than Judah Polgar, Ho Yifan is as strong as it gets um, that you know any woman chess player has ever been. And she's playing Fabio Caruana, who's um, who's pretty awesome. So you know I don't know what the results will be as of today. Right by the time people are listening to this podcast, they can be tuning in um, to the uh, the match on Chess.com TV. So I'm pretty psyched. Those those two things are awesome. I'm also hosting Thursday show with another female co-host. Jen Shahadi. Uh, Jennifer Shahadi might be the most uh, accomplished female chess broadcaster. She she's the she was the one who was the main host um, for all the St. Louis Singfield Cup broadcasts. You probably saw her. Um, she, I don't know if you've watched any of it, but Jen Shahadi, she's the one I also did that giant Blitz chess video with. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I remember um, that. Yep. So Jen Shahadi is joining me. Anna, Anna Rudolph is joining me. So going to be good fun commentary of top grandmasters beating the tar out of each other while I, you know, do my best not to make awkward jokes, but jokes that definitely keep people's attention. That's pretty much what we do. So that's what's going on this week. Well, you know, I love the speed chess championship. It's my favorite because I love speed chest and uh, speed chess championships of the speed chess. And, and championship. Um, I love to open up chess, uh, you know, treasures. <laughs> you lo- <laughs> you, I, I love speech chess and championships and so the speech chess championship is my favorite <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> if there was if there was one i mean unless there's a grand championship ah uh, the old grand the scgc yep but no, it really is great. We'll be on the homepage of Twitch. I mean, we we tend to do really, really well um, in that environment. And as as this builds up throughout the year, when we get into the finals and you got Magnus going up against whoever is there, I mean, I guess we just assume it's going to be Magnus. Uh, you know, last we I think I said this before, but I mean, last year we were number three on Twitch behind only the Hearthstone World Championship and League of Legends. Yeah, people love we, the- we we surpassed for that brief moment. We surpassed World of Warcraft, Call of Duty. 
Uh, my, any other stream that was going on on Twitch, we were the third most viewed game on Twitch. So that's crazy. Um, that's crazy. Yeah, I know it was. It was pretty awesome. I was watching. I was just now watching before we record. I was watching Nakamura actually just uh, play a little bit because he was after you. I, I was. I kind of now just have Twitch dot. I actually just go to chess dot com slash TV. But I usually have Chess TV just on in the background now, and I'm like, I'm just kind of curious, like who's coming up, right? Because there's different people all throughout the day, which is really interesting. And a lot of Twitch streams are just the same person. It's just the championship, but all throughout the day, uh, the chess one's all different and. I randomly saw this photo on maybe it was Twitter or maybe it was somewhere else, but there was like this dragon, this like Komodo dragon thing. And there's like, it was you in this thing. I couldn't figure it out. So I'm like, I got to go figure out what this chess thing is. And uh, in this segment of, of really kind of extending on to me asking you what that, what the heck was this man versus so, machine? And what did these Komodo dragons have to do with any of it? I'm so puzzled and confused. So the other, yeah, the other th- reason why there's so much commentary going on chess TV this week is you guys got to check out the man versus machine thing. It's a blast because it's a human being, yours truly, going up against the strongest chess engine on the planet. So Komodo, Komodo is the name of the strongest chess computer artificially intelligent system out there. Now, the one many people know is Stockfish um, because Stockfish is open source. Mm. So Stockfish is a little more widely used. Um, it's the one we actually have on chess.com slash analysis. So if you go there, you know, the open cloud engine is whatever's the most available um, with Stockfish. But Komodo, Komodo is, is sort of like uh, him and Stockfish, him, I mean, he's not a person, but Komodo and Stockfish as computer chess engines have gone back and forth in terms of who's the best. There's a number of other ones. There's Houdini, there's Shredder, uh, there's there's other, there's Fire, there's other interesting engines, but, and they all try to separate themselves a little bit. Like Shredder is sort of really well known for being ultra aggressive, unlike a computer, like willing to sacrifice stuff. And mm-hmm. But basically Stockfish and Komodo are kind of head over heels in terms of strength and Komodo is the best engine. So, so we came up with these pretty fun images. Um, we'll leave, we'll leave a link to some in the show notes of me just sort of photoshopped into a regular dragon experience. You know, obviously these are, these are, I, I, what am I saying? These aren't photoshopped. These are things that happened. I was on a Komodo dragon island Naturally. praying with the other Komodo dragons, um, you know, to whatever, you know, to our Komodo, you know, sort of universal. Um, anyway, I lost it, but basically that's it, right? So I, I played the Komodo Dragon in a three-game match. I got swept. <laughs> no big surprise there. Uh, but I did have material odds. That's what makes it interesting is you give a human just enough odds where if I was playing strong level GM chess that day, I might have held on. Yeah, because I saw... But I you, wasn't. I made some mistakes. What? I saw when you started the Komodo engine, which was a player, which I'm very intrigued how this actually works behind the hoods, but uh, I saw that the Komodo player was missing two pawns. Is that the advantage that you're talking about? Yeah, so, there, and there are two types of advantages in chess, and this is, I think, interesting even for the non-chess audience. There are really, there is material, like concrete. So if you were if you were doing the hierarchy of concrete advantages, at the top of the pyramid is checkmate, right? Okay, the game's over. Can't get an advantage that's more concrete than checkmate. The second would be like, what, a large amount of material. You're up a queen, you're up a couple rooks, right? And you get smaller and smaller to the point where maybe you're up a pawn or two. And that's kind of the advantages that I had against Komodo to start. Now, Komodo is, you know, a 3,400 ranked machine. I'm about, I'm just barely 2,500. So, so the difference in strength is massive. Um, but, but I do have a material advantage and I'm a, you know, I'm a really strong chess player and, and a material advantage, if you think about it, you know, is chess is a science in the end. It's a black and white affair that says 
certain moves are right and certain moves are wrong. And if you have a material advantage, theoretically, if I play the best chess possible, I should win. doesn't matter if I'm playing a chess god. You know, I should be able to win advantages. But but the thing is, the computers are so much stronger than humans. Like, if you put Gary Kasparov in that position, playing, like, the time, it, the, the, the material disadvantages that I had, I would win much more of those games. Like, if you put the strongest humans, because the way humans and, and, and chess play and, and computers think is so different. I mean... Um, it, it's just, they're, they're, they're calculating so deep that you end up making a blunder you didn't know was a blunder. Um, and, and the second type of advantage that exists in chess outside of the concrete is what we call sort of the initiative. Um, the kind of like the essence of the position in terms of the tempi, right? Who has more active pieces? Uh, these are, these are not what we call positional or material advantages because, if your piece goes from the center to the edge of the board, well, the same pieces are on the board, but clearly they're not as good, right? So so these are advantages we call sort of like the initiative, the essence, the strategical positioning. Um, and, and some of the odds I got, like one of the odds I got was a big center and a lead in development. Um, and then the other odds I got was sort of small amounts of material. And, and it creates these imbalances where... Like, um, one of the only times the Komodo ever lost in one of these man, we do these man versus machine things regularly was when a GM had the, the initiative advantage, actually, not the material and really just played a phenomenally accurate attack and the computer sort of never recovered. Um, but it's rare. Uh, usually it just doesn't happen and the computer does work itself back into at least a draw. I'm pretty sure of all the matches we've done, the computer has never not won the match. Oh, wow. Um, that's crazy. I have, I have gotten draws. And when I've increased the odds in like my own man versus machine shows, I've been able to beat Komodo. But, you know, as soon as you cross that line where like right the way you said, like a couple pawns or one time I had a rook and it had a knight, right? So a rook is better than a knight, but it's actually a two pawn value. Rook is worth five, knight is worth three. So very similar, right? And that boundary, if I'm playing my best chess, you know, I'm probably going to draw that game. That's how much stronger it is. Wow, that's um, crazy. So anyway, that that's kind of the deal. That's, I mean, it's crazy to think about because like, I don't, you know, there's really not that many maybe go. I'm thinking other board games, I guess, could could totally have this engine type scenario or computer playing against it. But it's so interesting that um, how good I mean, it makes sense. It's it's all mathematical and it just kind of ridiculous. We talked about it last week, I think, of trying to beat the computer or like our engines, you know, taking over and, you know, in general. But it's interesting that you can get into a draw or that you get into the scenarios. And I kind of like how it's playing out where it's like, hey, we're you're not just playing the computer. We're going to essentially make it so there is a fighting chance, which makes it so interesting. I really enjoyed watching this. I, it was funny because you're like, you didn't watch the whole thing because like an hour and a half long or something. I watched the whole thing. It was, it was pretty interesting to me um, just to kind of watch in your analysis because I feel as though, and there's 45 minutes on each side, I'm pretty sure. And what was interesting is how you were analyzing, which I saw the deepest, I almost saw Danny's deepest and darkest analysis of every single move because you have to be so meticulous. And I feel as though when I was watching you, there were so many arrows on the board that I couldn't, I couldn't sometimes wrap my head around it, but it was so intriguing to me just to watch like this deep analysis of every little bit and piece that was going on. And actually it was funny is because I saw this, you did an amateur hour with, um, what's his name? The football player. Um, yeah, John, John Urschel. Yep, John Urschel. Former football player. He's actually been blowing up in the news lately because right after that investigation about CTE, mm. you know, the concussion thing came out, like he retired oh. and, um, Anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, but did John Urschel. Yeah. I was watching John Urschel because you know, even even you know you were doing some training with him as far as um, some chess goes, and and his analysis of one of the very first kind of challenges you gave him was was very interesting to actually watch other people analyze the board, which is kind of why I watch like watching chess so much. But to watch you attempt 
to figure and beat the Komodo engine was was very intriguing. I loved it. Now, have, so any of the other engines? So have you beat any of the other engines? Yeah, no. I've, I mean, it's similar though. I've beaten, you know, I've beaten Stockfish and whatever. But again, those are all at odds these days. They, the computers basically surpassed human beings at least six or seven years ago, where it just it became like an exponential jump in as far as the depth. You know, you're looking at. You know, and and also, you know, there were some real breakthroughs in terms of how we coded them and taught them to think and taught them to evaluate to sort of eliminate some of their blind spots where a human can look at a position and see very quickly the bigger picture without having to calculate that deep because of certain strategical things, right? And so as we've taught them to understand these sort of concepts, um, like a big breakthrough at one point was a pawn majority, which just to give you a quick chess specific, that's... You know, when on one side of the board, you have three pawns and they only have two. Now, maybe on the other side, they have four and you have three. So the, the total pawns are equal. But a three on two majority is an advantage because it can move more quickly in the end game and create a pass pawn faster, which creates any even more problems. So that quick little thing, as far as their ability to see from the future, the value of a, of a smaller majority, like change their ability to have like much deeper foresight. That's just one very quick example. So it there I, I don't know. Nobody beats them straight up anymore. Like not even the best players on the planet. I've beaten them at material odds. I think I remember the tipping point when, you know, even with like full focus, I wasn't able to beat computers anymore. That was around Fritz. You get like Fritz 11. Fritz was one of the oldest original ones by Chessbase, one of the kind of the godfathers of chess companies on the planet. Chessbase is is still great. Um, And they have a software that's really for chess professionals. But um, that was kind of the last one. And and that's... um, but okay, even the world champions, I mean, everyone remembers Kasparov in Deep Blue, right? I mean, you got the Russian versus the IBM computer. I mean, that's the famous one where, remember, the second match, Deep Blue beat Kasparov. And um, and that was already sort of the tipping point. So it's, um, and, and Kasparov's new book on this it dives into a lot of it. And, and uh, uh, Kasparov does enough self-promotion, I don't really need to do it for him. LOL, just kidding. Hashtag, if he, if he comments about it, that means he's listening. Um, anyway, but, uh, you know, he, his book talks about this and it's actually pretty interesting. And, and Kasparov goes into kind of being, uh, he was, I mean, in many ways, Kasparov was like a sole representative of humanity's fight versus artificial intelligence, right? When is Skynet going to become self-aware and launch the missiles? Um, and then he lost and just a lot of the dynamics there. So anyway, check out Kasparov's new book. It's cool stuff. Yeah. I'll, tell, I'll put that, I'll put that link into the show notes for sure. I, I gotta, I gotta check out that out too. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, that's bananas. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's really interesting to me just kind of watch that go and continue on. And I will say, I want to, I want to say one thing. This is really not Mott's ass and I am, but, um, I, I kind of made this, I watch, I watch you a lot from a distance on the <laughs> internet. <laughs> and one thing I noticed is that you don't, you don't call yourself a professional. You, I mean, well, I'm not a chess professional. Why, why are you not? Well, think of it this way, and this is a good way to explain. Remember, we talked about the level I reached, right? I reached the level of like professional chess, right? Let's say I was a bench player on the NBA. Got, I mean, that's a weird thing to say because I was playing against the best players, but I just try to find a comparison that makes sense to things that most people think of. You know, it's like it's like being on the tour, you know, but you're not really, you know, one of the best, you know, well known. I mean, I made a professional level, but to be a professional, you have to play. I mean, I'm an amateur from the perspective that um, I no longer really play chess professionally. You know, I, I do videos and I, I run a I run a business, right? And and uh, my background is that you know I was a very very strong, one of the best chess players in the, in the country for my age and therefore the world. And that's from that you know bigger broader sense. But um, but a, a, to me, a professional, as as one of my uh, trainers said, like you can't 
play a prof you can't be a professional unless you're actively playing. Professionals are actively like if you're in finance, if you have a GM title, which I know many of them that are in finance, they're no longer professional chess players. They're an amateur level chess player, you know, a grandmaster still, but they're not an amateur. Remember, like it's not a low level beginner. An amateur is somebody who basically doesn't play professionally. Yeah, that's a good point. I um, guess I used to so call that's, my, that's the way I think about. I used to call myself a. I'm still a developer. I used to call myself a professional mobile developer, right? And I used to develop apps at a company professionally. Like that's what I did, you know, for for many years. And I created software before that. Now, while I do still create software, the and you still play chess, you know, even you know, you just you just got out of some and crossed a pretty historic number. And um, but for me, right, I still create some things in my spare time, but it's not my full fledged all the time developing so i can see that point of view where my profession actually is more public speaking and program management more than right. than I actually mean, you're a manager and a professional speaker you know what i mean you're no longer a, a, a professional developer we're getting deep right? on this on this podcast. i mean so i think it, it's semantic i mean i understand you're right i mean for the most for most people's perspective i am a titled professional chess player i mean that's literally but i think i transitioned from being a professional chess player first to a professional chess coach i was teaching in the schools and scholastic enrichment programs and private lessons and then then i built an online business and then eventually that came chess.com so like I haven't been a professional player really since I was 19, as far as that was what I did. I mean, I traveled playing chess. It was every couple, it was local tournaments when you're home, and it was traveling at least once a month to a big event. I mean, look at Hikaru Nakamura as a professional chess player, you know? Um, so anyway, but I think, I think that's, you know, again, it's just semantics as far as, I mean, I guess, you know, would you consider Pete Sampras anything but a, but a professional tennis player? But the thing is, he's not anymore. They call him a retired professional, right? Yeah, sure. And that's why, that's what do they call it? That's why those guys do things like the pro-ams, right? You get these former professionals teaming up with amateur celebrities. But that's kind of, you know, where you would almost put a status of someone who kind of does the, the shenanigans that I do. Well, Danny, you'll always be a professional international master of chess to me <laughs> just so you know although you'll always be a retired professional amateur in my book exactly and people i'm still people ask me when i'm gonna go for gm i think about it a lot you know we just you know i, I love i love the idea of playing chess professional again just like you love the idea of being able to just sit there and write you know emoji apps exactly i mean if you don't if there's not people out there actively developing emoji applications and who's going to do it that's what that's what right. I, <laughs> I go to bed every night thinking to be honest with you is life decisions danny it's life decisions i get it man yeah oh man speaking of life decisions i feel like uh, we've made a good one teaming up with this show so i i feel i feel like we're doing okay you know i i'm enjoying our podcast this is this is really about us and as long as we're enjoying it then that's what matters every week i get to sit down with one of my best friends in the entire world and talk it out talk about ava lattes and uh you know it would have been the end if you had disagreed with how disgusting that is and and, uh, and you know that's why we're besties is that we agree you know, on ava latte art and I didn't even have to hear your opinion first when I said, you know, that our two rights can make a wrong. I just knew. Yeah. I knew this was this was a slippery slope that somebody has fallen on, and it's our job to have integrity and bring avocado and latte back into their rightful place, which is separate. Exactly. And in this case of Coffeehouse Blunders, two rights, me and Danny do make a right, and it's glorious, and it's awesome. And you can let us know how you feel about this podcast each and every week. You can contact us on Twitter at James Montemagno, at James Montemagno, at Daniel Wrench, and of course, leave some feedback on the show at blunders.fm, and you can leave us an email by hitting that little contact button. I think that's about it, Danny. Uh, I'm going to go back, crush some code, miss you, and uh, go watch some chess.com slash TV. I'm going to 
pretty much do the same because Hikaru Nakamura is rocking about 800 live viewers right now um, on Twitch TV slash chess. So let's go see what Hikaru's doing and uh, peace out to the peeps. All right, cool. Love you, buddy. Yep. Yeah.